Let's pray as we come to listen to God's word. Father, we give you thanks for this wonderful time of year when we focus again on the birth of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for these stories which are so familiar to us, and yet through them you still speak to us very powerfully and very clearly. And we would pray this morning that as we come to look at this part of Luke's gospel, that again we would hear your voice speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Just going to take a drink. A husband and wife were giving each other the silent treatment. And they were actually doing a very good job of giving each other the silent treatment. I don't know if you ever had that experience in your house, but they were brilliant at it. It started over breakfast. Not a word was spoken. And then they had the day at home. It was a Sunday. They, they had the morning together. They went to church, standing in church. They spoke with other people, but did they say a word to each other? Absolutely not. Sunday dinner, silence. Sunday and afternoon walk, not a word. Sunday evening tea time, nothing said. Came out to the evening service, spoke to everyone around them, but didn't say a word to each other. And eventually they went home. They had done a brilliant chat job of not speaking to each other at all. But there was a problem. The husband was a very deep sleeper. And the husband relied upon his wife to wake him up in the mornings. And that next Monday, he had a very important meeting scheduled first thing in the morning. He needed to get up bright and breezy and get to work. How was he going to get around this? He didn't want to break the silence. And so he wrote his wife a little note and left it on her bedside table. Hi, honey. I have a very important reading and work tomorrow. Can you wake me up at 7 a.m.? And with that, the husband went to bed. The next morning, he woke up naturally. And it was 9.30 in the morning. He woke up, he got up, he was furious with his wife. And then he looked at his bedside table. Good morning, honey, the note said. It's 7 a.m. You better get up for work. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, have you ever been on the end of the silent treatment? When you have been, you just want at the end, don't you? You just want the silence to be broken. There's something uncomfortable about a time of silence. Well, when we open up Luke's gospel in chapter 1, we meet a community of people and a couple who have been experiencing the silence of God. In their lives, they've been experiencing the silence of God. And the community who've been experiencing the silence, it's the community of God's people. It's his chosen people, it's the Jews, it's the people of God, and they've been experiencing his silence. If you have a look with me at the very start of verse five, it begins with kind of some historical background. And it says there, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, we read those words and we skip over them. It's just some historical words. It's just telling us who was king at the time when Jesus was born. But if you were living at this time and you were one of God's people, the fact that Herod was the king would have made you wince. It would have made you sad. It would have made you very, very disappointed. Because, you see, thousands of years earlier, God had promised that there was going to be a king for God's people who was going to be a wonderful king. He was going to come from the line of David, and he was going to rescue people, and he was going to set up a kingdom that would never end. 
He was going to rule over the whole universe and he was going to rule with justice and with equity and with love and with patience and with kindness. The people of God had hoped that they would have a king who would be this wonderful king who would rule and reign forever. But this king had never arrived. And instead they had Herod on the throne. This man Herod, he'd been appointed by the Roman Empire. He hadn't come from the line of David. He wasn't God's chosen king. He wasn't a particularly nice man or a particularly just man. He was a little bit of a tyrant. As had Herod and Herod been before him. Whenever God's people looked at who the king of Judea was, they would have felt sad and disappointed. And there was no murmurings from God. There was no reassurance from God that the king was coming. You see, for the past 400 years, there'd been no prophet in Israel, no one sent from God to tell the people, don't worry, the king is coming. That had not happened for 400 years. There had been silence about the coming king. The people of God had experienced the silence of God for 400 years. And they're all wondering, when is this king coming? When is this Messiah coming? When is this promised one coming? Will he ever come? Is God ever going to send him? God has said nothing about this for so long. Is he going to come? But we also meet at the beginning of Luke a couple, a couple who'd experienced the silence of God. And we read about them in verses 5 to 7. Look with me at the text, please. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Here in the passage, we meet a priest called Zechariah. Now, a priest, he would have served at the temple in Jerusalem, this temple built by Herod the Great, this wonderful, beautiful temple, and the priest would have gone there to serve. And the priest at this time, there were so many of them, they just served for two weeks in the year. And this man, Zechariah, he was a priest, and he was married to Elizabeth, and both of them, look at this description in verse 6. This is an incredible description. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. And then look at the end of the verse, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. This couple were so devoted to God. They kept all of his ways. They worshipped him in the way he required. He, they lived their lives every day in the sight of God, trying to please him. This couple were a godly couple. They, they loved the Lord. They loved God. They lived his way. They were this wonderful, godly, upright couple. Maybe you've met a couple of people like that and, and you look at their lives and they're just so godly and they're so in love with the Lord. This is Zechariah and this is his wife, Elizabeth, devoted to the Lord. 
And what's incredible about this couple is that they're devoted to the Lord despite being disappointed. You see, this wee couple, they were a disappointed couple. Probably disappointed with the Lord because of one key thing. Look what the text says in verse 7. They were childless. The Lord had not blessed them with children. No doubt they tried and tried and tried for children, but been able to have them. You can imagine, can you, how many prayers they prayed, how many tears they wept. You can imagine the heartache that they felt every single day. And in this particular context, it was a particularly difficult place not to have children because it was so religious that people thought to themselves, if someone doesn't have a child, it's because they're doing something wrong. People would have judged Elizabeth and Zechariah. Oh, they look so holy on the outside. They look so devoted on the inside, but there's got to be something inside that's wrong. You can imagine the disappointment they felt, can't you? And now what's sad is if you have a look at the end of verse 7, they're both very old. They're old now. The, the time for having children has passed. Maybe even the time for praying for children has passed. It's beyond it now. They're disappointed, but yet they are devoted. And this morning I just want to commend their example to you. Very often whenever people become disappointed with the Lord, they turn away from Him. When life doesn't go how they wanted, when life doesn't follow the path that they desired, very often they get annoyed with God or angry with God and they feel that disappointment with God and what they do is they, they walk away from God. They abandon God. They wander from God in anger and frustration and annoyance. And this morning I want to commend Elizabeth and commend Zechariah to you because that's not what they do. Yes, they are deeply disappointed. Yes, this hurts every day of life. But they don't abandon God. They, they still remain devoted to Him. They live for Him. And this morning there's a couple of things, a few things I want to encourage you to do in order to do this. If you want to stay devoted to God despite at times being disappointed, then there's a number of things I want to encourage you to try to do in order to walk with God through your disappointment. And this morning, maybe you are disappointed with God, and maybe you feel like packing this all Christianity in. Maybe you feel like turning away from Him. Maybe you feel so hurt and disappointed this morning. Well, then these things are for you. And the first thing is just prepare for disappointment. That's the first thing. Now, I'm not talking about going around you know, living a life of doom and gloom, always expecting the worst. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is being prepared for sometimes to be disappointed. Life is hard. There's no one in life who everything goes the way they want or they plan to. Sometimes I worry that our children grow up watching the Disney movies and here in the fairy tales where what happens, everyone lives happily ever after. And sometimes I worry that our kids are going to grow up thinking that that's how life is, but it's not. We live in a broken world, a fallen world, a world of sickness, a world of sin, a world of illness, a world of death, a world where things don't go right. 
And one of the things we need to do to walk with God, even when being disappointed, is just to prepare our hearts and minds that at times we'll be disappointed. At times things will not go the way we plan. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to share your disappointment. Share it with two people. Share it with the Lord and share it with your Christian friends. Whenever you're disappointed, whenever you're disappointed with how life is going or how, how you, the path ahead of you is gone or, or how things are working out, take it to the Lord and share it with him. Express it to him. Lord, I am so disappointed. I feel so let down. I feel so hurt. I feel so annoyed. Share your disappointment with the Lord. Bring him your tears. Bring him your words. Bring him your groans. Share your disappointment with the Lord. Again, sometimes I worry that in the church, we kind of feel we have to pretend everything's good, that everything's okay, that everything's fine. We have to kind of put on the British step off our upper lip. You know, everything's fine, everything's wonderful, everything's great. Even when it's not. When you're disappointed, share it with the Lord and share it with God's people as well. The Bible tells us we're to bear one another's burdens. Find someone who you can unburden yourself to, who can pray for you, who can point you to the Lord who's with you. If you want to be devoted when disappointed, prepare, share, and thirdly, remember. Do you know, sometimes when we think of God, we can think of him being so distant and, and far away and, and different from us that we think he doesn't really understand. But what do we remember at Christmas is that our God came down. He took on flesh. He became man. He took humanity onto his divinity. And our Lord Jesus, he understands our disappointment. How do you think Jesus felt when all of his friends abandoned him when he was arrested? How do you think the Lord Jesus felt when Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver? How do you think Jesus felt when he watched his followers mess it up over and over and over again? I reckon he felt pretty disappointed at times. The Lord Jesus understands your disappointment, so remember that. He can sympathize with you. He understands what you're going through. He gets it. The next thing then I want to encourage you to do is simply to submit. Submit yourself to the Lord's plans. Accept that this is the path that he has for you. And I know that's hard sometimes. I know sometimes we want to reel against God and fight against God and get angry with God and, and resist God. But sometimes there's a point where we simply have to submit and say, Lord, it's not your my will but yours be done. Lord, I don't understand why you're allowing this. I don't understand why you're letting me go through this. I don't understand how you've allowed this to happen. I don't get it, Lord. I'm really confused, Lord, but I know you're good, Lord. That's why I submit to your ways. I submit to your will. I trust you in the middle of it. Another thing that we can do to, to keep growing and, and to stay devoted despite disappointment is to, is to see that the Lord is going to use what we're going through for us to grow. 
He's going to use the disappointments to, to bring us to him, to grow in our relationship with him, to grow in our reliance upon him, and he's going to use us to serve him. Many of you here this morning, you've been through severe disappointments in your life. And what's amazing right now is that you see other people and they're going through those same disappointments. Do you realize that you're in a unique position to help them, to support them, to walk with them? You're in a unique position to walk with those who are coming behind you. Use your disappointments to grow, to grow closer to God in reliance and to grow in your servants of him by helping other people. And finally, another way to keep growing and to keep going and to stay devoted despite disappointment is to put your hope in eternity. To put your hope in eternity. Friends, this life, for those of us who are Christians, is not it. This life is full of disappointments. This life is full of pain. This life is full of suffering. This life is full of hardship. But we're going to a new world. And in this new world, there'll be no pain or sickness or death or disappointment. The Bible says that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that we will experience. So friend, in your disappointment, remember that there's hope, that there's a good time coming, that there's eternity for you without any of the things you're going through. Put your hope in the future that's coming. I want to commend Elizabeth and Zechariah to you. This couple who were really disappointed, but yet devoted to the Lord. And I want to encourage you to be like them, to model after them, to follow their example, to be people who are devoted despite disappointment. Anyway, back to your text. So Zechariah the priest, uh, he's been living in his village for most of the year and it's now time for him to go to Jerusalem. So he heads up to the big smoke, up to the city of Jerusalem and he, he meets with the other priests and there's 54 jobs in the temple to be done and there's loads of more priests than jobs. And so the way that they find the job is that they, they cast lots, kind of like rolling a dice and the Lord, he directs the lots and different people are chosen for different jobs in the temple. And so we find out what, Zechariah's job is to be that day. Have a look with me at verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Now, I'm not trying to say that there are better jobs in the temple. Every job was important, but I think this was the best job that a priest could get. This job that Zechariah got this day, it was a once-in-a-lifetime job. You see, most of the jobs were done on the outside of the temple, burning sacrifices and that sort of thing, but Zechariah was allowed to go into the temple. He was allowed to go into this very special place called the Court of the Priests. It was the place just outside the Holy of Holies. This was an honor. 
And Zechariah was to go in there and he was to burn the incense on the altar. Now, I'm sure none of you remember the sermons on Leviticus that we did. But incense, it was this aroma that lifted to the Lord. And it was to, to picture God's, the, peop, the prayers of God's people coming up to God as a pleasing aroma. And so Zechariah went in, into this holy place, and he burnt the incense on the altar. And outside, all of God's people were praying. And then inside there, something incredible happened. The silence of God was broken. For 400 years, there had been no messengers from God. For 400 years, there had been silence from God. But here in this holy place, God breaks the silence through a messenger. Have a look with me at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord, so that's a messenger. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now at Christmas and in the Christmas story, there's a lot of angels, aren't there? But angels are very rare. They're very rare even in the Bible. And angels, they're, they're not these kind of fairies. We think of them as fairies. They're messengers from God, very often more like soldiers than fairies. Sometimes they appear just as a man, just as a person. But here it seems that this is some sort of dazzling angel, some sort of amazing, bright angel. And the angel appears... And what amazing news he gives to John. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you're to call him John. Here we have a pregnancy announcement. Your wife's going to have a baby. Here we have a gender reveal. He's going to be a son. And here we have the baby being named. He's going to be called John. And then verse 14, he'll be a joy and delight to you. Some children are not a joy and delight to their parents. Some children are wayward and difficult and they become adults who are difficult. Maybe you've experienced that, but not John and not Elizabeth and Zechariah. The angel says that, that this son of theirs is going to be a joy and a delight to them. And then he's also told then, verse 14, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This boy of yours Zechariah, he is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be very important in God's sight. He's going to be very important in God's plan. This boy who's coming from your wife is going to be very important to God. 
Then the next verse, he's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. In the Old Testament, there was a group called the Nazarites, and they never drank wine or alcohol, and they, they had this very uh, a devoted lifestyle. And the angel says to Zechariah, your boy is going to be devoted to God just like you, Zechariah. He's going to be devoted to God just like you and Elizabeth, your wife. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is going to empower him for ministry. He's going to serve the Lord in the power of the Spirit. And what's he going to do? Verse 16, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. After 400 years of silence, Many of God's people had turned from him. And the angel says, Zechariah, your son John is going to bring many back. He's going to be like Billy Graham. He's going to be an evangelist. He's going to turn people back to the Lord their God. But it's the last thing this son is going to do, which was the exciting thing. It was the last thing that would have got Zechariah's heart pumping. It was the last thing that would have got the people's heart pumping. Because if you look at verse 17, the angel says, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Hey, Zechariah. You see this boy, he's going to make the way for the Messiah to come. Hey, Zechariah, you know how if a king or queen or a member of the royal family is going to a city, there's an envoy goes ahead and they get to the place ready. Well, your son is going to do this, Zechariah. Your son is going to get the people ready for the coming of the promised king. There had been silence for 400 years, but finally God says the king is coming. Do you see what's happened here? Zechariah's prayers and the prayers of God's people have been heard. God has been silent, so it seems, but even in the silence, he's heard Zechariah's prayers and he's heard the prayers of God's people. Prayers for a child and prayers for the Messiah. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you right now feel that God has been silent in your life, if you just now know that you've been praying for things and pleading with God and pouring out your soul and yet it seems like he's silent, I just want you to know this morning that he hears your prayers. He's heard them this morning and I want to encourage you that this morning. He's, he's heard them. Whatever it is, you've been praying. Anyway, what's Zechariah's response? Unbelievable, isn't it? This angel's appeared. The Lord has heard your prayers. You're going to have the son and all these things are going to happen to him. And what is Zechariah's response? This man who's a priest, this man who's devoted to God, this man who knows about God, what's his response? Well, it's, it's doubt. It's doubt. He can't get his head around this. How is this going to happen? We are really old. 
How can I be sure this is going to happen? We see it in the text there. Look at verse 18. Zechariah, having heard what the angel says, asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah doubts. Zechariah doubts God's word. Zechariah doubts God's power. Zechariah doubts God's ability. Now, there are times in our lives when doubt is normal. There are times in our lives when doubt is a natural response, but this is not the right response here, is it? Zechariah has had an angel appear and tell him directly what the Lord says, and yet he doubts. And so the angel, he rebukes him. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. It's kind of like, have you heard of me? I mean, I've, I've been around for a long time. I appeared to Daniel. I, I appeared to Ezekiel. I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. I stand in his presence every single day. And I've been sent here by him to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Hey, Zechariah, listen up. I'm speaking with the authority of the Lord. He rebukes his doubt. And sometimes you hear this morning and, and you doubt the Lord and some of your doubt is okay and some of it is understandable. But some of your doubt is because you simply won't believe him. Because you won't take him at his word. Because you won't believe his promises. Because you won't believe that he can do more than you can ask or imagine. And I want to encourage you this morning and rebuke you this morning that if you know what the Lord says and you don't believe it and you won't believe it, I want to rebuke your doubt this morning. Don't doubt him. Trust his word. Trust his promises. Trust what he has said. Anyway, the response of the angel is more than just rebuking him because now look what happens. Uh, I got a, a throat infection at the beginning of the week. I'm still a bit raspy. Thankfully, I didn't lose my voice. But here, Zechariah completely lost his voice. Look at verse 20. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Hey, Zechariah. You're going to be silent until Elizabeth has this baby. You're going to have to give your wife the silent treatment. It's going to be imposed by the Lord. You're not going to be able to say a word. And with that, Zechariah comes out of the temple. Everyone's been wondering where he's at. And right enough, he can't speak, so he's got to make signs trying to describe what happened. And then he goes home to his wife, and he can't speak to her, and he, he has to try to describe to her what happened. But in the coming months, she becomes pregnant. And nine months later, she gives birth to her son, who Zechariah says he shall be called John. Now, maybe you're wondering, why was Zechariah silent? And I want to finish just by explaining this a little bit. Zechariah was was, was, was kind of doubting and questioning God because of his silence. 
Zechariah was doubting and questioning God because God seemed silent. He was wondering, God, what are you doing? Why are you so silent? And here Zechariah is brought to a place of silence. And he's not able to speak, and he's, he's not speaking, but he certainly was busy in the nine months, wasn't he? He was busy getting his wife pregnant. No doubt he was busy getting the home ready. No doubt he was busy earning money. No doubt he was busy doing, doing, doing over the nine months. Just because he was silent didn't mean that he was sitting there with his arms crossed doing nothing. Just because I couldn't really speak on Monday or Tuesday of this week doesn't mean I was just sitting around going, oh, well, I can't speak, I can't do any work. Emma, you look after the kids yourself and I'll do nothing. Well, maybe one of the days, but, you know, even in the silence, Zechariah was still at work. And that's the message this morning. Even when God seems silent, he is still at work still working out his plans, still working for your good, still working for his glory. This morning, if you're here and the Lord feels silent to you, please rest assured that he is still at work for your good and for, your, for his glory. Christmas is a, a wonderful time of year. But it's also a time of year whenever our disappointments are magnified, isn't it? It's a time of year when we become aware of the things that we don't have that we wish we had of had. Christmas is a time of year when very often our depression deepens. If we're depressed and, and we get lower than normal, it's a difficult time when we struggle with depression. Christmas is a time when we look at everybody else's life and we have doubts about our own and doubts about our God and doubts about his goodness. Well, this morning, if you can resonate with those, I just want to encourage you that this morning you're invited not to fear. Your prayers are heard by God. This morning you're invited not to doubt God. His word will come true in its appointed time. His promises for you will stand. And I want to encourage you not to fret. Even when God seems silent, even when you're disappointed, do not fret. The Lord is still at work, working out all things for your good and for his glory. Let's pray before we sing our final hymn. Our Father in heaven, you know that we all sit here this morning with disappointments. We all sit here this morning with doubts. We all sit here this morning having experienced seemingly silence from you at times. And maybe just now we sit here experiencing it in our own current condition. But Lord, I pray for us that you would help us to believe your word this morning. Help us to believe that you are always at work even in the seeming silence. Help us to believe that you will fulfill your word and your promises even when we, humanly speaking, don't understand how. And help us this morning, Lord, to remain devoted to you even in those times when we are most disappointed. Lord Jesus, thank you that you understand our disappointment and our pain this morning. Thank you that you get it. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you'll help us. 
Oh Lord, may we know you in this season. May we know your help and may we know your closeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.